0: We want to be rational people, and that's a great thing. It's great to have a rational conversation around a decision that we need to make. The reality of it is that usually we can't be rational, we
1: just pretend. Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. So I've been traveling over the last few weeks, and I had the opportunity to catch up with a good friend of mine. His name is Jonathan Karen, and he does work in something called deep democracy, which is a practice that emphasizes... The Wisdom of Minorities. Jonathan is a deep democracy facilitator and instructor, and he works very closely with Myrna Lewis, who founded the Lewis Deep Democracy Method, developed during the transition from apartheid to democracy in South Africa. Jonathan is also the head coach and co founder of House of Deep Democracy, where he trains others to have deep democracy conversations. I wanted to bring you this conversation because I think you will find it provocative. And it's pretty wide-ranging, so we split it into two parts, and this is part one. Jonathan, thank you for making the time. I
0: mean, it's such a pleasure, Ron. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's great to see you. We haven't seen each other for a long time. It's been years. I'm glad you, I'm glad you came to visit us
1: here. Okay. I think deep democracy has a very alluring uh, name. Mm. I don't know what it is. Our listeners don't know what it is. But it sounds very interesting. So yeah. Why don't we start there? What is, what is deep democracy?
0: Well, first of all, it is very interesting to me. It's one I think. I mean, there's nothing more interesting than than deep democracy at, at its most fundamental level. So, but let me start <clears throat> by saying that the that deep democracy is a method. It's a method of conflict resolution and decision making. Not necessarily in that order. It was created in South Africa. Well, actually. The, the deep democracy that we're talking about is the second deep democracy. there was a first deep democracy okay which originated in the states actually Arnold mindell is a a Jungian analyst but also a quantum physicist and he created this work yeah it's, I'm, it's, a, I'm already hooked yeah I mean okay. that's how I got hooked because okay. he's a, he's an, he's a he's a great guy because what he's done is he's taken Jungian psychology and moved it into a more a collective approach, a, co- a more collective view, where Jung spoke of collective aspects of the unconscious. Mendel um, basically says all of our experience is undivided, ultimately, and that's informed by quantum field theory, which is one of the most interesting theories in quantum physics, as far as I'm concerned right now, because in a way it has it creates the least discrepancies between old and new. Um,
1: physics. Anyway, I'm not a... No, no. We have to... Sorry, because <laughs> quantum theory is one of my obsessions oh, but yeah. I, but I, that I don't, I don't think I've ever gotten to talk about it on politicology before. And since you brought it up in the context of this conversation, we have yeah. to give listeners just a little primer okay. of why it is so fascinating. Okay. So so
0: And maybe we can get into this later because yeah. quantum field theory really informs how we look at uh, decision-making group dynamics in general and, and conflict, how it arises and how, how it's resolved. I'm, first, of, first of all, let me give a disclaimer. I'm not yep. a physicist, sure. right? nor am so, I. So <laughs> I'm if a, there are
1: any physicists listening, we'll hear from them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope we do. I am a buff. I'm a physics buff in a way. So I always, I was, even in high school, I loved, I loved learning about physics, but I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I can't really get into the very technical aspects of it. But The most important understanding that we can take from quantum field theory is that, well, let's put it this way quantum field theory describes the universe in seven fields, seven overlapping fields, if you will. And usually I just speak of one field just to simplify things. But let's say the world is, the the universe is basically a field. That's how quantum field theory describes the universe. And that means. That there's no real, real division between you and me. There's no real separation. We're just expressions of field. In a way, you could put it this way. Let's say the universe is a sea, and we're waves on the sea. And we, we're crazy waves because we claim to be separate entities. You know, that's like kind of nuts in a way. Um, but in fact, quantum field shows that we're we're all just expressions of one and the same field. And that has consequences for the way we look at our interactions and our relationships. Now, if you look at more Freudian uh, psychology that is really based in Newtonian thinking, classical physics. Mm
1: -hmm. Mechanical physics. Mechanical physics, yes. Cause and effect. (laughs) Exactly. A clockwork model of the universe.
0: Yes, yeah. yeah. Or Or like a billiard. Right, a model. Ball model. in a way yeah. everything is cause and effect, yeah. and the whole universe um, consists of particles. So, um,
1: bouncing into each other. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and in a way, you could say it's like it's all Lego, mm-hmm. right? So you you can zoom you can zoom into the particles, and you will find that they consist out of, of smaller particles. And and we've zoomed we've we've we have the ability to zoom in quite a bit right now. Mm-hmm. But still, um, those particles are ultimately separate from each other. So they're independent variables, as we call them. Now, if you look at human beings through that lens, it means that we're separate building blocks. And if you look at society, it's built out of these separate building blocks. If we look into our experience as human beings, Most of our experience, when it comes to our interactions, is centered around thoughts, opinions, emotions or feelings, symptoms. And then Jung described the archetypes, which are basically images that are very deeply rooted in our unconscious, in our collective unconscious, meaning that they're images we can all... um, we can all recognize no matter where you live in the world, this is not a cultural thing. You will recognize a mother and you will recognize the king and you will recognize the jester or the joker. So these images are what Jung called archetypes. They're another part of our human experience. They're kind of like thoughts in a way. And so all of these um, elements of our experience are seen as personal in traditional psychology, meaning that a thought is mine and an opinion is mine, and it goes farther than that because that's how we build identity. Uh, we believe that we are what we think, and um, we are what we believe in a way. So that's a that's that's tr- a traditional way of looking at at human beings now from a psychological through a psychological lens. Now, if you look through the lens of quantum field theory, everything changes because there's no boundaries. We don't have the, the universe is not built out, out of built up out of um, separate building blocks. It's field, meaning that there's no such thing as personal. And we do have an experience of, of thoughts and beliefs and feelings being personal. But from a quantum field perspective, that is our perception. It's, it's a trick of the mind. And basically that's what mind does. It attaches itself to certain beliefs or thoughts and distances itself, in, if you will, from other thoughts and beliefs. And then we call that I. And this trick of the mind this incredible illusion which you know we can't get around we can see through it there are moments and there are people and you know there are experiences in which we see through the trick of the mind Mm -hmm. briefly briefly and and you know in a way maybe even maybe even we can maybe we can even abide in that realization but even then We can't get around the experience of things being personal. So, And the reason is that that's basically the mind's job. What it does is it says, this is me and this is not me. And and you can see how this happens all day long. You know, you wake up and your first thought is, I'm tired. And then I need to get up and I need to go shower and I need to go to work and I, 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 I. Yeah, exactly. Well... Who's I? It's like a movie. You have these, um, these images that that are running through the mind all day long. These I thoughts, and not just words—literally images as well—and they create this illusory self that we call I. And then you walk out the door, and here is the movie that's called you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, you're. You're hot, you're not. You're cool, you're not. You, you know, you should have... Bathed today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so then, in a way, it's the same trick. Now there's a you and an I, and we seem very separate. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, what's actually happening in reality, from a quantum field perspective, is nothing has changed. You simply do not have the power to make something yours just by thinking it. It's just not a thing. And so, we walk around with this self-image that is reinforced consistently all day long by the mind. I, 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 you, 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 you. And in a way, you could say that um, Newtonian physics really describe the experience of being separate. being separate. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, it's, it's just our human experience. At the same time, that's what gives rise to conflict. Because once we're separate, now we have to keep this entity alive. And that's a problem because somewhere deep down, we know. I mean, you can't not know in a way we cannot notice maybe but we know that that illusory eye is illusory it's 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 so ephemeral it's not even a thing right right you can't take it out and interact with it, right. it it's not a thing
1: it only exists in your experience
0: there you go yeah. and and not in your physical experience right it's it's words and pictures and sensations that's all you ever experience So, in a way, we know deep down that what we believe we are is really a lie. And now, we're in a very vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. Because what I believe to be, at the most basic level, is always in danger. Mm. You know, if I, in my opinion... Even just hearing your opinion is dangerous for me. And changing my view is even more dangerous because in a way, you could equate it to death. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm not what I believe, you know if if it turns out that I'm not all those things I believe believe to be. and by the way, that could be you know that can be uh, a Republican or it can be i I believe that I'm a man, I believe that I'm. I'm gay. Yeah. I believe that I'm a friendly person. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I believe that, you know, it's, it's nice to have a house to live in. I mean, you, you can take a random thought. Or oh,
1: that taxes should never be higher than X percent. There you go. <laughs> right? There you go. Take a <laughs> random thought. Yeah.
0: And that's, and that's basic. And you're looking at, at what identity is. Yeah. And so being confronted with something different is it puts me in danger yeah and and that's how conflict happens because now i'm about to lose what i am or what i believe to be you know if, if you're expressing a different opinion if you're uh, if you're expressing disagreement i will i will run for my guns mm-hmm. cuz i'll have to defend my existence now, ultimately, there's nothing to defend right. but this trick is so incredible that it, it just it runs the show and and in role theory, which is the theory that Arnold Mendel created based on quantum field theory it's it's his group dynamic model yeah what he says is <clears throat> he calls. All the aspects of our experience roles. In a way, it's not a, we're not talking about sociological roles here. Right. But in a way that the uh, I understand why he chose the word because a role is also what you play. It's not what you are. And um, so he calls opinions roles, and he calls emotions roles or feelings. He calls symptoms roles and archetypes roles, and so. That changes the way we, it changes our languaging, first of all, around interaction, but it changes our approach as well, because, so I work as a teacher, um, most of my work is now uh, teaching deep democracy, but I still work in education, a little bit still, I I started out working in arts education. And so when I'm in the classroom, from a a, a traditional point of view, you would say, Jonathan is the Teacher. As The teacher, exactly. And then we have students. From a role theory perspective, we would say there's a, a teacher role and a student role in the room. Now, this is crucial. This changes the approach of, of work in the classroom, of learning together completely, because it means that I'm not the person teaching you something. Now, hmm. if you, if you look at what's happening in reality, you know, no one has ever taught anyone anything on, in this world. It's impossible. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you about my experience and you might be teaching yourself something about it and you're, you're, you're organizing in in your mind you're organizing what i'm talking about and you might be thinking you know this i believe this is bullshit this is uh, oh we're we're in amsterdam I, i'm a little foul mouth sometimes <laughs> no, it's great. i don't know if this
1: it's totally fine it's a tum- yeah. Well, no, i it's hope great. i get
0: beeped out <laughs> i've always wanted to get beeped out somewhere anyways
1: <laughs> we've never beeped anybody oh, good, so. good, 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 okay. okay.
0: So uh, yeah, you could be thinking this is great or this is bullshit, right? And, um, and also this fits into my worldview here and this doesn't fit into my worldview. You're teaching yourself. And there's no ways in the world that you can learn anything without teaching yourself. Yeah. I have nothing to teach anyone. I can't. You teach yourself. And that means that if I come into the classroom and I'm holding on to this teacher role tightly... I'm the one who knows and yeah. I'm the one who has the answer, you won't have access to that role so much. Mm. It's almost like a mechanical thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Like one person holds, to the role, holds onto the role very tightly, we will have less access to it. And so we won't learn. And so I know that when I walk out of the classroom, if I haven't learned anything, the students won't have learned because I won't have been in the student role and they won't have been in the teacher role. And you need both for learning it's an internal process so that's how it changes the way we look at interactions now when it comes to conflict conflict happens conflict is basically the war between identities it's it's an expression of an internal um, conflict an internal um, tension Mm -hmm. that is expressed outwardly and so Let's say we're having a fight over, yeah, I wanted to say maybe pro-choice and pro-life. Sure.
1: Great. It's very timely.
0: Yeah, I'm aware of that. By the way, well, I I don't know if I'm keyed into the issue in the States enough, but let's just take those two beliefs. One side is
1: saying... Or the two labels for those beliefs.
0: Let's just take the two labels. Let's say that, you know... I'm pro-life and you're pro-choice. Now, in essence, there's no tension in the fact that we have different views. Obviously, we we, we have different preferences and we need to find a way to navigate those. But there's no inherent problem in you having a different opinion than I do. And in actual fact, because we know that the universe is field we also know that even if you are pro-choice, you will have access to the role of pro-life. You will have access to that pattern in the field, in a way. And I will have access to the pro-choice role, but I have identified with pro-life, and you've identified with pro-choice. And now when you talk about your opinion, It will trigger me. Mm. I will get fired up and I will attack you. And that's where a conflict starts. And obviously that's the beginning. And if it goes on for long and we don't, you know, we don't work it out and understand what's actually happening internally, we will start bombing each other, Mm. right? So from this perspective, what conflict resolution means is becoming aware of of how we've been identified with our view and becoming aware of that other role that we're pushing out. Now that doesn't mean that when I become aware of that, if I'm, if I am pro life, it doesn't mean that I'll become pro choice. You know, we're different as human beings. We have our personalities, roles are filtered through our personalities, through our conditioning. So they'll have a different texture to it. And also, my internal majority might still lie within that mm-hmm. you know the 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 pro um, life mm-hmm. view but if i'm able to become aware of the part of me if i can find something in that pro choice view in myself i'll be more inclusive internally but i'll also be less opposed to you Mm -hmm. i won't be triggered because when you speak of your view i will recognize it in myself now that's what deep democracy is basically we've actually come to what the fundament is of deep democracy it means full inclusivity and that's not an external thing it means including all of those internal parts in ourselves by the way also including emotion the reason being that Emotion is oftentimes, um, it's running the show. It's, it's, what, it's, it's what identity does to stay alive. It generates emotion. And emotion can point us to our blind spots. That's what it's for, you know. I mean, I see emotion as like a little flag that is saying, hey, hey, you missed out on something. You didn't hear me. It's like you have all these internal kids, all these children, knocking at the door saying, we want in. And we let part of them in and the other ones we lock out. And then that's when we start experiencing emotion. So in order to be deeply democratic, we not only need to include rational views, we need to include emotion as well, not because emotion has inherent wisdom, but because it points us to the parts of ourselves that we don't, we're oh not aware God. of. And then, you yes. know, to link it back to what I was yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, pro-choice, yeah, yeah,
1: pro-life. Yeah. You're touching on so many things, so many threads that I would love to pull on. Because, but, but this is no, this is fantastic. No, keep going. Please. Yeah, I mean, this yeah, stuff. I don't remember
0: this stuff uh, to me is amazing. Yeah. It it it, ha- it has completely changed the way yeah. when I when I first heard about this 15 years or so yeah. years ago yeah. it completely changed the way I, I i i interacted with groups and myself and i mean it, it it radically changed all of my life but anyway just to come back to this inclusivity this deep democracy yeah. <clears throat> so if we're willing to listen to emotion and i'm not talking about you know i'm so angry now i'm gonna kill you i'm talking about oh i'm this is how angry i am mm-hmm. you know what's happening in 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 me it, the body will will talk yeah and and if i can follow that it will show me the part that i'm not willing to see in myself and that i'm projecting onto you mm-hmm. so if there's a little there's a little bit of pro choice in me there's something about me and you know it might even be i don't think People should just be able to go and have an abortion, but I'm worried about the people that you know maybe got pregnant through rape, and I'm aware of how horrible it has to be to have a child. Then I'm still not pro-choice, but there's a part of me that there's a that role that I can find. Now my emotion will point me towards that because you will talk about your point of view, and I will start feeling something. I'll get sad hurt, angry, frustrated, you know, any one of those, defensive. Mm -hmm. And if I can follow that feeling, it will point me to the thing that I'm missing. And once I see that, it's impossible to have a fight with you because I will recognize you in in, in me. It's what we call compassion in deep democracy. It's the ability to recognize in ourselves what we see in the other and accept that it's part of us as well. So, now we can have a real conversation yeah we can have a real conversation around why is this so important to me and why is this so important to you and how do we find a way to navigate living together you know how do we how do we do this at a governance level <clears throat> but we're not coming from a place of defense we're not coming right. from a place of war right yeah that's basically what deep democracy is and we can talk about you know It's a methodology. So there's lots of tools how to do this stuff and how to go about it, how to, how to follow, how to bring emotion into conversations. But the principle of all of the, all of the interventions in deep democracies, they're all geared towards 100% inclusivity, meaning that we include all elements, internal and external, which also means that we don't just follow majority rule. Because when we do that, we're again pushing out part of ourselves hmm. the way we tend to do that using identity hmm. so also at a at a collective level, deep democracy means that we decide, we make decisions, and by the way in ter- a majority majority is important even also in deep democracy, we don't say you know let's just follow what the minority wants no there's a there's there's a momentum to majority. You know, there's a, it's like gravity. Even yeah. internally, you have, yeah. you have a preference. Even if you can see the other side, you still have a preference. It's, it's gravity. So in, in, in deep democracy, at a collective level, when we make decisions, we follow that gravity of the majority. But then we dialogue with the minority and we look at what do
1: you need to come mm. along. And what can we add? Say more about that. What do you need to come along? One because of the most important things In questions. the United States, it's winner takes all. There's, there's so many other threads that I want to pull on, but you just mm-hmm. made me think of this one, right? Elections have consequences, everyone wants to say. And in America, it's 50% plus one, right? The majority wins and then they get to govern. Mm-hmm. And usually once power is won, the minority is left behind. The views have been considered defeated, mm-hmm. defunct, not welcome. We're not going that direction. How is that different from what you're describing?
0: Well, that's exactly what we address in deep democracy-style decision-making. I mean, we've seen what 51-49 splits do. And by the way, it's not just the states, because in Europe, since Trump-Clinton, we've had Mm 51-49 decisions all over the show. Like, Brexit was Mm -hmm. like that over and over, you know, with a referendum here and with a referendum in, in the UK, and then we had, um, I mean, it was incredible to see how all, most of the elections in, in Europe ended in kind of a 51-49 situation. Mm-hmm. So to me, what that shows is it, 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 it shows the level of separation that we're experiencing. From what I've understood also, I, I don't know the history of the States that well, but I've, I, I, did, I was told that um, 50 years ago, Democrats and Republicans weren't th- as different as they are now. They were much closer. Yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah so, so you can see how, that, how that, um, that 51-49 really shows a split, and it also shows that following majority rule doesn't work mm. because it requires the assumption that minorities will be grown up about it and come along. But the reality is that they don't,
1: It requires the assumption that they will, they will, they will, they will, uh, you know, subject their views to the Like to, we were talking about identity and mm-hmm. the importance of opinions to identity. Except mm-hmm. that they will change and accept the majority view. Yeah, and immediately. The op- right? yeah.
0: yeah, and the opposite thing happens.
1: Yeah, right.
0: I mean, we start of we course, start wars. Of course, again. the opposite thing happens. Of course, that. we know this. Well, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, and 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 we live this in our daily lives. Yeah. I mean, we we even live it at, within ourselves. Yeah. Like, look at how we the majority rule is an internal thing. Like, I always talk about how external democracy is internal democracy. The way we treat minority voices in the so-called external world is how we treat our internal minorities, and and it, it's so deeply ingrained in in how we operate and. Because that's what mind does, yeah. right? So it's a reflection of yeah. how mind works. But what happens is we we discount minority views, whether they be internal and external, and then that's where the war begins: internal war, external war. Mm. And for me, for example, like you can see it in my life. I lived. Um, my life felt like a war for for many 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 years. I mean, I come from a background of war. I'm an Israeli by origin and and I mean, you can and my grandparents came from Europe. My you know, my father um served in the army during the 6-day war. It, it's it runs conflict runs all through the family. And I mean, I just felt for many years I felt like Life was a war.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was very deeply entrenched in addiction. And by the way, that, that's a good that's a good way to illustrate what happens with discounted minority views. Because what was happening internally for me was I was feeling very vulnerable, very scared, anxious about life. And and I felt deficient. Hmm. Right? I mean I had these stories running and I'm I'm still working through those stories. Like stories like I'm unlovable and I'm I'm unworthy and same. Yeah, well, you know, they're kind of universal <laughs> in the human experience it turns <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah, and and but I was identified as a strong and rational man. Hmm. And so I was living that life or at least trying and it just fell apart. Like everything was a fight, and it fell. I couldn't hang on to my jobs. I, I was, you know, I was being fired left and right. I mean, I had, I, I could, I survived financially, like by, you know, scraping mm-hmm. together <laughs> little, little bits of cash that I could make, and you know, with a little bit of the the, the jobs that I could get. And, I mean, I was, I, I come from a very privileged background. I had. You know, I had help from my parents when I was younger. and so, but, so on the outside, I looked okay. But on the inside, I was falling apart. And I was living a secret life. Mm. Because I was acting out on my addiction, you know. That was kind of the shadow
1: mm.
0: of my life. People didn't know about it either. And I didn't even really know about it. I wasn't aware of the fact that I was addicted. That came later. It was, that's how deep down this thing was buried and but the 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 identity of the strong rational man it it was a way to repress Hmm. to not see what was actually going on that let's say that minority view and i couldn't move like I, i felt like anything i tried you know just nothing worked and and so becoming internally deep democratic which is a process is including that part of me Mm. really listening to the voice inside that says i cannot be loved i don't deserve a good life and to sit with it you know and 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 finally listen and then see what do you need you know what do you need to come along for as long as you're around you know you might stay for a while and by the way you can stay as long as you want and and then and then what do you need for that time now the same i mean I s- you can see how our conflicts yeah. in society are a reflection of that internal conflict yeah. and and so minority views we push them out, and as we do that, we're pushing a part of ourselves out. It's always a reflection of an an, an internal thing, and that hurts whatever you do it'll hurt mm-hmm. you can't get around that mm-hmm. you can. You can repress it or suppress it, but you can't get around it. And the same th- as in, it will have its way with you ultimately. Yeah, the way it did with me. The way it was. I felt like I was just in the in this grip of of the of the addiction and of all these conflicts. So, in the world, in yeah. our society, in the body politic, what's that? In the body politic, exactly. In the body politic you can see this, this exact same pattern. We push minorities out, and then we believe that they will stay out. But as a result, we go into war, and minorities fight back. And uh, in deep democracy, we have this model that we call the terrorist line, or the resistance line, yeah. if you will, is a more, more uh, mild term. Um, and the, the terrorist line basically shows how Voices that aren't heard move into resistance and how they start at behaving. So first of all, first of all, they will start making jokes and then they'll become sarcastic. And then we will start, um, making excuses why we didn't show up or why we're late or why we didn't do this. Then we'll start gossiping and then we'll break down our communication. First, we'll start talking to other people and then we'll just. Start disconnecting from the other and find indirect ways to communicate. And we, and this terrorist line continues all the way up to war or separation. So what it shows is that voices that aren't heard slowly move towards war or separation. Mm. And m- we believe that we need to go with majority rule. But you can see how what we're consistently doing in majority democracy is creating war and separation and you know before the recording we were talking about you know how we feel that democracy is failing us now Mm -hmm. and in in my you know in my perspective this is one of the most important reasons is that we've been discounting minorities for so long and every decision we make feeds into this pattern Every time we make a decision, there's another voice not being heard. And it'll boomerang back to us. And so it seems like we've come to a point where we can't keep this up. It's just not doable anymore.
1: You mentioned emotions as pointing in the direction of... Values. I think I'm paraphrasing, but that made me think of a researcher named Susan David. Um, Maybe you're familiar with her. I think she's from New Zealand, but she's excellent. And she does work that she calls uh, research into what she calls emotional agility. And the way she characterizes emotions is not as data, uh, excuse me, not as directives, but as data. And the data that arises when you experience an emotion is one that points you in the direction of something actually that you value. So when you Sense that you are being lied to, for example, and you know it. You you can tell when someone is lying to you, and you feel a sensation in your body. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, indignance. Um, it's pointing you toward a deeper value of truth, right? Something in your body is saying this is. You're getting information from your body about what's happening. Does this resonate?
0: yeah i mean so what i said and just to be very clear it's not that emotion necessarily points you to values it points you to unconscious material Mm. and that could be a value yeah it could also be a want or a need but it could be anything but let me put it this way this is how it would work for me yeah if you're telling me a lie and i pick up on it which i might or might not <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea if I, if I pick up lies very well but let's say i pick up on it there's no reason for me to feel any, any emotion I, I mean i could say to you you know it seems to me like that's not true and and i could say well let's say you sit we have a shared bank account mm-hmm. and and and, um, and I saw a receipt of something that you spent and you're lying about it.
1: Yeah. And you know it.
0: Because I saw the receipt. Yeah. So in this case, I don't need my internal yeah, lie detector. But detectable. I don't know that. Yeah. 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 Well, let's say we're having this conversation yeah. and you're saying, well, I didn't spend that money. And then I can say, well, you know, I saw this receipt and I was wondering, can we talk about it? Because it seems like that you did to me like you did. There doesn't need to be any emotion there. Emotion happens when I'm attached to this identity of truth, a truthful person. Mm. Now, good luck in finding someone who
1: is
0: 100% truthful, right? I will be unaware of the fact that I've lied in my life. And I will attach to, you should be truthful. Now I'm mad. You know, now I'm coming at you how dare you and i saw that receipt and you know and there you have that war so the emotion can point me towards what's actually going on at an unconscious level which is i'm believing that people need people should be truthful now that's a lie i mean there you can see how inconsistent Mm. mind is well actually consistent in the sense that when I'm accusing you of something, I will be doing exactly that thing.
1: Mm.
0: And believing that people should be truthful is a lie. I mean, look around you. We're yeah. not. Right. Reality shows us that people are, that not, are not always truthful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But there's this very stubborn belief that we've taught ourselves that people should be truthful. And by the way, if you're not, you're bad, <sighs> right? Yeah. You're on the wrong side yeah. of humanity. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Following the anger can point me towards that part in myself that I'm not seeing, which is, A, I believe that one should be truth, truthful. I can now question that, I can have a look at it, and I can, can become aware, again, of that minority part in myself. I'm identified as a truthful person, but really, you know, I've, I've lied in my life, and, and right in the moment that I'm mentally accusing you of something, I'm lying. Mm. I'm saying that you, need to, you should be something that you're not. And, you know, this is one of the things that I love about reality you know, and I love about life. You can't get around it. It's right in front of you. You know, the receipt is here. You say you didn't, you didn't spend the money. Well, there we have it. Yeah. So, you know, believing that you shouldn't be lying is just really nonsense. And <clears throat> understanding that I'm like you, that I've lied, and also that I'm lying about this situation that's where connection happens it's, mm-hmm. it, it's you know and then i can come to you and it's the same with thing it doesn't matter if you're talking about pro life pro choice or i spent that money i didn't now i can come to you and say sweetheart you know I, I i saw this and can we talk about it because it feels like what you're saying is not true and i wonder if you're open to having that conversation mm. and you could say no and i could be fine with that mm. You know i could I could let you have your lie the way I let myself have my lie, and by the way, that doesn't mean that I won't you know make certain decisions. I might decide that you know I don't want to have a joint bank account with you mm-hmm. you know and, but I'll be able to go about it in connection with you mm-hmm. again I'll be able to come mm-hmm. and say, my dear friend ron i I want to stop yeah. having a joint account simple there's no argument there there's no fight there's nothing to defend there's yeah. no identity at play and and so yeah emotion can point us towards those parts of ourselves that we don't see and it can liberate us from these the attachments to our to our beliefs and now just to reiterate that doesn't mean that I'm going to st- that i'm going to stay in the same situation it doesn't right. mean that i'm i'm going to, it doesn't mean that my opinion has changed and i will st- i might still come to you and say I, I want to stop the joint bank account but i'll come in clarity mm-hmm. and i'll come in connection or love as we like to call it and mm-hmm. and and yeah that's the value of emotion that's why deep democracy means including feeling because we don't see what's running the show. It's happening unconsciously. And so we can't really come to wise decisions if we don't look at what's happening psychologically. In, in, other, way, in other words, to put it in a different kind of paradigm, if we don't heal our, our trauma, we can't fix democracy because it's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. What you see on the outside is just a reflection of what happens on the inside. And, and again, another great way to say what deep democracy is. It's, it's be, being that inclusive. All of the voices are welcome because, I mean, in a way, that's what wisdom is, right? That is what wisdom is. It's, it's, if we have access to all the views, you know, we, we want to be rational people. And that's a great thing. It's great to have a rational conversation around a decision that we need to make. But the reality of it is that usually we can't be rational. We just pretend. That's, that's what I did most of my life. And, you know, might still do that. And um, but rationality is a great thing, but it doesn't work. We don't have access to real wisdom, the real potential, until we actually uncover those parts of ourselves that we haven't seen. Now we have mental flexibility. Now mm-hmm. we're capable of looking at this thing of let's have a conversation about the joint account what do we want to do i i don't want to be in a situation where you spend this money what do you want okay what are we going to do pro-life pro-choice same thing
1: thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening and make sure you're subscribed so you get notified when the second part of this conversation drops next week if you haven't yet, we'd appreciate it if you could open up the Apple Podcasts app and give us a five-star rating and review over there. This helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at And even when we can't respond, we do read everything you send us, whether it's an episode idea, a guest recommendation, or just a simple note about how the show has impacted you. And we love hearing from you. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.